At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick of the Five Reasons Sports Network. We're proud to have three yards per carry on our network. We believe it's the best Dolphins coverage you'll get anywhere. And we also think we have the best merchandise. And that's right. We have the Tua shirts, not just the first Tua shirt, which at this point is a classic that a lot of people were wearing as the draft pick was made, but we've got three new designs plus tank tops in all the shirts, women's sizes, and we're adding kid sizes. So go to fivereasonsports.com. Make sure you spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsports.com, backslash merchandise, or just go to the site and you'll see it there on the website now one thing obviously everybody's dealing with COVID-19 right now as is our distributor and so it may take a little bit longer to get the shirts than usual but make sure you get there in the queue so you get them as quickly as possible again it's fivereasonsports.com backslash merchandise let me introduce you to our latest sponsor the Andre Law Firm Andre Law can represent you or your business in a variety of civil and commercial matters do you have a client that has proven difficult to collect from Andre Law also specializes in collection law and can expedite your collection on judgments from your defaulting clients. The principal of Andre Law Firm is Tony Andre, a North Miami native with years of experience representing businesses and individuals throughout the state of Florida. Based in Aventura, you can give him a call at 786-708-0813 or visit his website at andrelaw.com. Again, give Andre Law a call at 786 708 one three to set up your consultation. All right, I want to talk to you about a new sponsor of ours, and it's one that's very relevant to the moment. They're a new division of Greenview Construction, and they are called Making America Clean Again. Making America Clean Again holds certificates in bacterial, viral, fungi, and mold cleaning treatments. They offer professional cleaning, sanitizing, disinfecting, and sterilization services to a wide range of residential and commercial projects. You can do overnight ozone UV generator treatments or even permanently install UV ionized advanced oxidation technology into your HVAC system. Now, we know and understand, and quite frankly, we hope, that businesses across the state and nation remain shuttered as long as absolutely necessary necessary to beat back the spread of the coronavirus. But when that time finally comes, it's having that certificate to display at your workplace showing that it has been properly cleaned by a licensed professional and maintained will go a long way to restoring that customer trust. So for more information, you can look up Making America Clean Again. You can go to their website at www.macainc.net or you can just call them at 855-561-6653. Again, that's 855-561-6653. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. And what has been, I guess, the, the, the afterglow of a glorious draft for the Miami Dolphins. We know what they did in the first round. We've talked about it on our last podcast. Tua Tonga-Vailoa. We talked about him for about 
two and a half years. Simon has been on to him for about almost four. And sure enough, he's in the fold as of right now. We don't know what number he's going to wear, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to talk about your podcast. But in this one, we're going to break down what they did after that first round. Simon, I'm going to go to you first. I've had a lot of listeners approach me about, especially on the three yards per carry account, about pick number 39, Robert Hunt. I like the player, but it's understandable to see the apprehension after you look at what went on after pick 39. It's a who's who of players that people know and wanted and mocked to the Dolphins, even at 26. Your thoughts on the pick? I think you summed it up perfectly when you said it's a who's who of players that people know because essentially 98% of these people don't watch college football, don't study players. And if they never heard of anybody, then it, you know, you need to see the Ferrari around the selection of Noah Igbenogane on Thursday night to know that, you know, people were up in arms mainly because they'd never heard of the guy because they hadn't studied the guy because his name wasn't, you know, Jeff Akuda or, or Christian Fulton or somebody they actually knew from watching a bowl game or the national championship game. So, um, you know, I don't really care what people say on the internet, quite frankly. Um, you know, they're welcome to their opinion, but I think you just have to watch the, these players and understand that, you know, it's like the selection of Blake Ferguson, for example. It's like people kicked up such a massive fuss about a long snapper and uh, this, that, and the other. And if you know anything about Brian Flores, you understand that special teams is really, really important. Um, you know, and he's the two-time uh, equivalent of the Thorpe Award or the Bolitnikov you know, for, for long snapping and whatever we think about that, he's still an important part of what the Dolphins need to do. You think how many punts, field goals and, uh, and extra points there are. Well, you know, you can argue the merit of whether or not you should have taken him when we did, but that's not the point really. It's just that people have never heard of it. So frankly, I don't care. Um, I know how good Robert Hunt is. I know how good, um, you know, Raekwon Davis is and, and those sorts of things. So I, I'm really not bothered about whether or not, you know, Jim from Sioux Falls has never heard of Robert Hunt. I really don't. I don't care. Um, you know, so next. On the long snapper in particular, I, I just consider, listen, when you take a long snapper in the sixth round, what you're essentially saying is your draft is over. Yeah. Um, you're, taking the, you're, you're taking the piss. Yeah. You're basically, it's not that, it's not that, you know, he is taking a piss because they wanted him. They clearly targeted oh, yeah. him. And they, they think he's he's got room on the team. In fact, I pencil him in for a roster spot, but um, which is which is saying something when you start the day with 14 picks and a bunch of them are in the sixth and seventh round. But um, but after that, when you take that, it's like, well, we're kind of finishing it up right here. Um, that this is this is the last guy. We're just going to make sure we get him. He's a roster spot. The guys above him are probably roster spots as well. And then anything they do after that is like, you know, whatever. And, and I think that that showed when they condensed, you know, consolidated, I guess, two of the seventh round picks and, um, and used one on, uh, you know, a guy that we like, uh, certainly um, in, uh, in what's his name, the Navy kid, um, Malcolm Perry. Oh, Malcolm Perry. Malcolm Perry. Yeah, sir. I and mean, we'll talk about him later, but, um, but also, you know, it's kind of like, it was kind of like just basically a chance to stick a, a finger in Bill Belichick's eye because, <laughs> uh, because you know, he had his, he had sort of his eye on Malcolm Perry as an undrafted free agent. And they, um, they preempted that by taking him in the seventh round and, and he might not even make the team and we'll, we'll see. Um, and then they did it again in undrafted free agency when they, um, they took uh, um, 
uh, what's his name? Taishun, uh, what's, uh, what's the defensive end's name from uh, Middle Tennessee State? Um, oh, yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, he was another guy that uh, that Bill Belichick had been all over, and they they outbid him on the uh, the sign. So I think I think really after they took this, uh, that was the end of the draft. To me, Ooh. was sort of the long snapper, yeah. and then they were just uh, just you know basically sticking a finger in Bill Belichick's eye after that. Yeah, I think, and I think uh, personally speaking, I had a bunch of guys you know falling to this number thirty nine spot, and I was shocked that Grant Delpit was still there, Antoine Winfield Jr. was still there, even one of a guy that's a favorite of yours, Lavisca Chenault, and I was also thinking about maybe the running back was going to go there at thirty nine, Jonathan Taylor, maybe J.K. Dobbins. But I should have seen this coming. If they had, if they were going to play a game this weekend and they hadn't done this draft, they would have had nobody on the right side that we would have been comfortable with. Even Jesse Davis, who uh, two of us on this podcast think is hopelessly average. Well, he's going to play. I mean, absolutely. You know, but he's... Robert Hunt, uh, you said it yourself, Chris. He would be the best guard in the draft, and he's one of the best right tackles in the draft. He's versatile. He's exactly what they've been building around. And the body type fits. Big mm-hmm. and giant and lengthy. So, yeah. Mental type fits as well, doesn't it? I mean, you go through all of these players. Absolutely. The mental type fits mm-hmm. completely. There's a real mm-hmm. character. I mean, even Raekwon Davis, who's a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. less He's of a... He's the only F you want. He is, but you go probably. back and look at... Yeah, but you go back and look at the fact that, you know, he was going to declare for the draft. His plan was to declare last year. Had a bad you know, have an average year and it really humbled him. And he decided to come back for a senior year, explain that he just needed to grow up a bit, be a bit more mature. And you had to, you only had to see coach's reaction when he, when he drafted him. I mean, he was absolutely pumped to know that he got Davis. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a moldable bit of clay that, you know, he he might be the most exciting, he might be the most exciting player beyond tour that, that we drafted given the reaction of the coach. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're going to get to him right now. I got I got really excited about this pick because uh, as somebody was asking me, you know, like, you know, what are you seeing there? You know, like, why are you so excited about this pick? And it's not because of his ceiling, because his ceiling is a superstar, because about 18 months ago, he was considered a top 10 pick. And of course, he did not have the greatest of seasons last year at Alabama. But what I see there is that the floor is so high. I am certain I'm pretty certain that he can come in, and if he's nothing else, he's going to be one of the best edge setters on his team, one of the best edge setters maybe in the AFC because his film checks out, especially against the run. Simon, you're a little bit more familiar with him than I am on Alabama. I saw a lot of film on him, and that's what what stuck out to me is that he beats up Gargles. This guy will be an immediate contributor against the run right away. Absolutely. He's very – I mean, he's very heavy-handed. You only have to watch, you know, look at the size of him as well. He's like absolutely chiseled. He's like an Adonis. He's, you know, mm-hmm. was he six foot, was he six, seven or six, six and 310 six. pounds or something? Yeah, massive hands, you know, uh, strong. And I just, um, yeah, I just think if he can put it all together, that's a big if, but I think if he can put it all together, I think he's a, um, he's such an interesting player. He could be so versatile for, for, for that team. Um, and I saw people like talk about, you know, he potentially could be, you know, he could be DeForest Buckner. You know, he's that mm-hmm. kind of player. That's his mm-hmm. ceiling, I think. And Buckner's what? Three, fourth best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Um, I just think that combination of weight, size, length, 
um, ability to set the edge, hand strength, you know, the, the leverage, you look at the leverage gain that he, that he, that he adapts, adopts, adapts, adopts. Um, I think, sorry, I've got a bit of a cold. It's not the Corona. Um, I think the leverage gain that he adopts, it, you know, he, he understands what it, what it takes to be a really good defensive lineman at the next level. And I'm, uh, you know, he, to me, he's one of those guys that with the right coaching, the right fire under him, I think he could be, he could be anything he wants to be. I don't, I, I think a lot of people just kind of see, this is a Rorschach test. I, I tweeted it earlier. Uh, Rake one Davis, he's six, six and 311 pounds. He has a seven foot one inch wingspan and massive hands. I think maybe, maybe 11 inch hands. Or something? Yeah. yeah. 11, 11 inch hands, something like that. I mean, he's just a big human. Uh, and I saw somebody ask the question, you know, how do you compare him to Daryl Gardner? And I think there are some, um, mm. some points to be made there because Daryl Gardner was accused of some of the same things that, uh, yep. that I think Raekwon Davis gets accused of. Uh, and they also had this, you know, these gigantic uh, frames and Greek God bodies, you know? <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so the, the reason that you take um, Raekwon Davis is because of the things that you can't easily quantify uh, that, that help you on a football field. And that's what I think people are having trouble wrapping their eyes, their minds around. They want, they want stats. They want, um, they want production uh, in measurable ways. And I think that when you get a guy like this, especially in a system like Miami is going to run and like, uh, like Alabama played him in, uh, what he's doing is he's beating the hell out of the, uh, the offensive line. He's beating them up. They're all black and blue by the end of the day because mm -hmm. of him. And that's what he does. He dominates these guys. I mean, he's, um, if, you, if you single block him, then he's going to put the quarterback on an egg timer or he's going to collapse the pocket from the interior and make the quarterback uncomfortable. He's going to dominate the passing games with his, uh, with his very long arms and, you know, very high stature. Um, and, and if you don't, you know, double or if you don't single block him, then you've got single blocking on guys like Christian Wilkins and, uh, and, you know, uh, Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Agba and, um, and Kyle Van Noy and stuff like that. And they can run their stunts and, and games and, and get, uh, get open to the quarterback versus uh, single blocking. Uh, what you see on Alabama tape constantly with Raekwon is four to six eyes on him at yeah. all times. Mm -hmm. And that's what uh, I, I tweeted something about this earlier is like, you just see this guy. I mean, there's three guys on Arkansas's line backpedaling, and all three of them are blocking him. Yeah. Like, all three of yes. them are trying to take him. They're, like, doing this big, weird four-man dance. And, um, and I think and you look at the rest of the line, and that's, that's the opportunity there. He is going to be the guy that you take to put on the defensive line that is the 500-pound gorilla that's going to command attention and, and take the attention away from Christian Wilkins, who you drafted in the first round last year, to make plays on the quarterback because he's, you know, very athletic and he can do that. Um, and the, the new defensive ends that you also got. I, I, again, like I, smart football fans are looking at Raekwon Davis and, you know, getting, it's very polarized. You know, there's guys that are, I just don't see it. You know, he's, he's a disappointment. I don't get it. It's not, you know, even Alabama fans. And, um, and I think that that's valid because in some sense, people are wondering if he peaked in 2017 when he did have a, um, a good statistical year and he was by the way, a little bit slimmer, which kind of makes me wonder which direction they're going to ask him to go uh, from a weight gain standpoint. Um, but 
at, at the same time, he is doing a lot of the things that you can't that you can't really put on a stat sheet that do help you win at the end of the day. Uh, he is staying rooted against double teams. God, you know, watching watching two guys trying to move him off the spot can be difficult. So there's a lot of things that you can do with him. I, I get excited about him. I think Raekwon's ceiling might be higher than anybody's that we drafted in terms of just his – he's got – everything that you want uh, you, you you look at mm. you look at how tall he is when he plays inside you look at guards mm. you know when when like deforest butler was traded for example people are like you know uh, the average football fan doesn't understand that an interior defensive lineman that isn't called aaron donald and doesn't necessarily have you know you know 15 sacks a season therefore he can't be anything but actually it's the ability to free up devon godchow right. it's the ability to free up I just think he just frees up those interior guys, but also, you know, somebody that can soak up a double team allows Jerome Baker to, to, to nip through into the backfield, those sorts of things. I think, you know, the way that Raekwon Davis shows up won't be on the stat sheet. What it will be is teammates will say, we can't get this done without Raekwon Davis. And, and I think that's really important because every team needs those sorts of players. Yeah. Like I said, I love his, what I love about him is his floor. Like I think he's going to be a capable NFL player no matter what. And if you get that in the second round, five, six, seven years from now, you're going to say that was a pretty successful pick. Now, if everybody's thinking, okay, this guy has to become Richard Seymour, then you might be disappointed four, five, six years from now if he didn't become Richard Seymour. But I'm sorry, for a second-round pick, you know, at 56, that's, you know, it's a home run. If he is just his floor, which is a really good edge setter and a really good run defender. You know, we had a player named Tony McDaniel in the Dolphins that was yeah. uh, this kind of stature, this kind of size, um, and he's been a player here. He had been a player for years and years around the league uh, that sort of, you know, he was just, uh, he got passed around a lot of teams, but he played a role and he played it pretty well. Um, and this guy is far stronger than that, than Tony McDaniel looked, uh, yeah. ever looked. And so I think, you know, if that's your floor being a little bit like a Tony McDaniel, but stronger, I mean, because Tony McDaniel made a lot of hey being imposing himself on the passing lanes. And mm -hmm. this guy's going to do that no matter what. I mean, that's the least he's going to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think that, you know, yeah, this is a this is a good pick for the Dolphins. I don't I know it's kind of controversial and I, I see their point. Um, but I just don't ultimately agree with it. And, you know, getting back to Robert Hunt. Um, you know, this second round, no, they didn't take Jonathan Taylor, uh, and no, they didn't take, um, JK Dobbins, but I don't know that the dolphins were targeting those two running backs the way that they were Clyde Edwards, Alaire or Deandre Swift. So I think that things had already started to go sideways with the running back position in the first round when the chiefs went ahead and took Clyde Edwards Alaire mm -hmm. and then a couple of picks later when the Detroit Lions took DeAndre Swift I think things had already gone sideways at the running back position and I think that uh you know Miami went ahead and took Robert Hunt because they needed a player like this and they thought the world of him and I think you know he does compare a little bit with Juwan James and um and he'll he'll get a chance to play right tackle at first and I think in the end, in this sort of weird season that we're about to have, they might end up trusting Je Jesse Davis a little bit more, uh, the veteran presence to, to handle that right tackle spot and then moving Robert Hunt inside. So that's what I, I wonder about. But, um, but yeah, 
I, no, they didn't get a running back at number 39. And then by the time they got to number 56, they were gone and they, they went ahead and got Matt Prida, which is probably better yeah. than quite a few of the running backs that they could have yeah, got. I agree with that. I think, I think Hunt's going to be given a chance to fail at right tackle. That's what I was told by somebody within the Dolphins that he'll be given that chance mm. to fail at right tackle. Yeah. His long-term spot yeah. will end up as guard. I think Chris Greer did actually say that they were pretty keen on JK Dobbins um, mm. and the Ravens took him the one pick before, but um yeah, I mean, the Matt Breeder thing is an, is an outstanding bonus, as it were. But if they were that keen on him, they would have taken him at 39, right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so well, they waited time for 56. spent on him, right? Yeah, I mean, but they spent time on, a lot, on, on all the running backs. And yes, I think that, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire goes off at 32, and, and then DeAndre Swift goes off a couple picks later. That's where they found themselves at number 39. Like, well, we don't necessarily want to take J.K. Dobbins here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they risked it, you know, knowing he could go. I think the fact that he went one pick before them is probably why the reaction where, whereas, you know, they wouldn't have been surprised if he went 10 picks before. Um, so I think that, uh, I don't think it was that big of a deal. The running back thing, I think it was more of a fan reaction during the night, uh, that we saw it was a fan phenomenon more than it was a, a team phenomenon. They were able to pivot and, um, pivot nicely. And, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, and it all ended up working out. Especially with what they traded. Now, when they moved on to the third round, they took a safety out of Texas, Brandon Jones. And then I started to sense a theme because in Robert Hunt, Raekwon Davis, and Brandon Jones, those three players all have the same thing in common. They play, and I said so on Twitter, they play a particular brand of football, a physical brand of football that we haven't seen around here in a while. Now, Brandon Jones... I don't know if he if he fits the versatility mold, but this guy is going to be fun to oh, watch. I think he's very versatile. I think he's very. I think that's his number yeah. one attribute. Yeah, that and tackling, I think, are the two. Well, he's a great tackler. Now, we well, we do know that, but well, no, I mean, actually, that's. I think we all disagree on a little bit on him because that's where I have questions about him uh, a oh, little bit. Actually, see, and yeah, and yeah, yeah, because mine is the opposite. My questions are him and man coverage. Especially um, in the slot where he's... Wow, yeah, but you look at him against Justin Jefferson, he was absolutely outstanding. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wonder, I mean, he was wonderful against uh, against Jefferson uh, in the slot, you know, and man coverage. I think that they moved him up to the slot. They moved him up closer to the line of scrimmage and let him play a lot there. And I think that resulted in him becoming a better player, being a slot player, being, uh, you know, actually just doing what Minka Fitzpatrick had been doing um, at Alabama and and what Minka Fitzpatrick was being asked to do in Miami. And this is a direct replacement for Minka Fitzpatrick, if you ask me. Um, and I, I think that he actually kind of blossomed that way. It was it was in deep coverage as a free safety that he was he was really letting letting himself down and letting the team down, I think, in prior years. And I think you just have to look at the fact that Hey, he's five foot eleven, and he's uh, he's he's five foot eleven and one hundred ninety eight pounds, and he's got like thirty inch arms. And at some point, the um, that's going to let him down. You know, that's going to let him down in deep coverage. He has to work twice as hard as some other guys mm. in deep coverage. He has to work twice as hard as some other guys in tackling. And that's where I disagree a little bit because he has twenty nine missed tackles in the last two years. And, and I think that, um, and I see it on the tape, you know, the, there are some arm tackles too that where the running back, you know, just barely almost got away, but, you know, ended up kind of tripping on shoelaces because he got him by and got him with a, a hand. 
uh, on the foot or something like that. I think that he has to work a little harder because his frame lets him down. But otherwise, he's like a Mr. Football kind of guy out there. He does everything well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, no matter what you're seeing him asked to do, which is so many things that the Dolphins are going to ask him to do, play on the line of scrimmage, play downhill, you know, be a blitzer, you know, those sorts of things. He does get off blocks. He does all that really well. And he does them. He was doing the man coverage. We, we watched Simon against Justin Jefferson. It was yeah. beautiful. It was gorgeous. Um, so I think, I think he does everything really well. He wasn't the number one safety recruit in yeah, the nation. He's a big time recruit. Back in, back in 2016. And to me, there are two types of guys that get that sort of accolade. There's like the Derwin James. That's just a freak, right? A physical freak. Well, he's not that. Um, he's he, Brandon Jones is not a physical freak. Uh, but the other type that gets that sort of accolade is the guy that can just do anything on a football field, including punt returning, which he does pretty well. So, I mean, I think that that's Brandon Jones in a nutshell. Now, let me ask you this, Simon. Over under on snaps for Brandon Jones, assuming that we have a 16-game season, 400, over or under? Uh, Over. Okay. Definitely. He's he's really really cerebral. He's really bright. I mean, you Mm. know, that's one of the the plus things. You go back and look at the, you know, essentially he played four years at Texas. He had one down year, which was not last year, but the year before. He went to the advisory Mm. board, was happy with what they said, decided to stay in just because he'd had, you know, a down season. Bounced back, played really well last year. Um, But just a smart, cerebral player who's going to play all over, can do all sorts of things. Just, you know, it's harsh to say that he's a a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But it's okay to be a jack-of-all-trades, especially Mm -hmm. in the system with which Brian Flores runs, because that's ultimately what he's looking for. Mm -hmm. And what well, about Simon the um, or Alf the uh, the the combine stories? You know, like him showing yeah, up to these yeah. interviews, like and and being and Simon, I, Yeah, Simon, you had some stuff like immediately afterwards about you know, quotes from from coaches about how prepared he is and stuff like that. I think. And, yeah, he had um, he'd watched four games of every single team in the NFL's defense, and he wanted to watch all sixteen. And he started to do that and realized he was never going to get it done. So watched hmm. four games of every single, made copious notes and, and had 32 binders um, to go into the interviews with, how, with however many teams he had interviews with. And he literally was like, yeah, you do this, you did that against the, you know, you lined up here, here, this is where I'm going to, I would flourish in your defense because I can do X, Y, and Z. When you played Atlanta, you did this, 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 and this. The teams were just absolutely blown away. Who does that? Who does that? So it's, it's that smart people and it, smart, the smart apple defensive of- backs. That the apple of Brian Flores' eye does that exactly, wow, absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that I'm pretty sure that that knocked Brian Flores' socks off. If I had to bet, if there was a pick that Brian Flores was handed, I think it was this one. I, I think was, it was Davis. I've got to say, you, oh, I'm yeah, okay. I, I'll take well, it back. I think I, I think it was Igmanagane. <laughs> I think it was Igmanagane. So, so all think, three of us are. Well, I'm with Simon on that one because if you saw Brian Flores, like he was giddy. Like he was about, I mean, I, he, he looked to me like he was going to cry after they took Ra- Raekwon Davis. Though Chris I mean, I, does make is, a fair point because they, they were going to take somebody else at that point. So yeah. maybe they just then deferred to, to Noah, given that the person they wanted to take had gone off the board. Yeah, so I think, we'll, I think we'll that I was told by somebody, no, who is familiar or knows Brian Flores and is connected that way, um, that he considered Noah Igbenogene to be a, quote unquote a fucking stud um and so i think that you know i think that pick might have been given quite frankly i think a lot is given to brian flores i mean we've always heard it we've always heard that chris greer you know sort of 
he, he involves Brian Flores a lot and gives him what he wants. And some people even kind of raise an eyebrow the amount that Chris Greer defers to to Brian Flores, which I'm not criticizing whatsoever. I just, and, you know, that's that's the way it is. And so we're talking about three players that um, each might have been Flores's guy. And frankly, all three of them might have been. Yeah, and uh, going back to that that first that first round pick number twenty six, I was told that they were very much aware of Jordan Love being on the board and where he could end up, and that many teams, one of which I was told was not the New England Patriots. Peter King said that Indianapolis were the team that were going to trade up for, which is why Green Bay made the move. Okay, yeah, I was Great, told, uh, so I wasn't he... given the actual teams, but I was told that there were there were many teams, multiple teams. So he's. He spoke to Brian Guttenkunz, the, the Green Bay GM, and Guttenkunz said that they had pretty serious intel that Indianapolis were uh, trying to make a trade with Miami to move up. Well, that makes perfect sense. And, but the Dolphins and, and didn't want to go all that way back. The Dolphins to tell Indianapolis, uh, no, we're sending him to Green Bay far away from here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they moved on to the fourth round, and their theme continued with these giant offensive linemen, Solomon Kinley, and... When he was taken, I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, you know, if they, if they, if they wanted a, a road grader guard type, Damian Lewis, you know, was around, you could have taken him, but I don't think he fits that long, lengthy mold that they want. And Lewis uh, went in the third round yeah, to yeah. Seattle. <laughs> yeah. So they take Solomon Kinley. Uh, he's played both guard spots. I don't know much about him. I do know that he has pretty good tape in the games that I've seen, especially run blocking. Uh, Simon, can you expand on him? Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's an enormous human being. I mean, he's nasty, isn't he, Chris? I mean, mm-hmm. you have to wonder a little bit what playing alongside Andrew Thomas does for his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a big, big, nasty. I mean, he's like Hunt, big, nasty. I love that interview that Hunt gave after the... Um, after the draft where he said, you know, it, it, it's, you know, you don't get arrested or whatever for, for knocking people on their ass. So, mm-hmm. you know, why wouldn't I do it? And Kindley's exactly the same, you know, really powerful hips, you know, he will come up and smash you in the face. You know, he's not particularly athletic, um, but he's, you know, he's decent enough in pass protection in mm-hmm. that sort of phone booth area. You know, he's not going to be, you know, it's not Quentin Nelson that we're talking about, but he, you know, he's decent enough. I mean, I think what you, um, I think the game that if people are interested in watching, I think the game against Javon Kinlaw against South Carolina mm-hmm. was the interesting game because I thought he, you know, he held up pretty well, handled Kinlaw pretty well. And there's a guy that, you know, converts speed to power um, and can get some real, can get some real push. And I thought Solomon played pretty well. You know, you watch some of those DeAndre Swift runs and he's opening some holes at the second level. You know, he's not particularly nimble. I think you throw him into the mix at garden and see where he ends up. I think he's a, a very interesting player. And I like the fact that they made, you know, they didn't just draft one lineman. They, they, they made a real commitment to drafting. You know, they brought in three offensive linemen. They know that it's an issue. They know that they've got a quarterback who's potentially got some, you know, some health issues, you know, let's keep him upright. Let's draft some big old, you know, hog mollies as, as Dave Gettleman would call them. And let's, um, you know, let's see where we go from there. But, you know, he will, um, you throw him into the mix. And, and I think it means the end for people like Danny Isadora and maybe Jesse Davis uh, and people like that. There's definitely a youth movement on that offensive line. And the five best players will, will start. And we'll, let's see where we end up. Now, I think, go ahead. Chris. A, a couple of things stood out to me about this pick. For one, the fact that they traded up for it uh, to the, toward the top of the, the round. 
um, the top of day three, which is, you know, day three, if you kind of think back in your draft history, uh, the top of day three, those picks end up being pretty coveted uh, teams. Yes. They, you know, you'd get that day break and then they, they come back and they're like, you know, there are four or five players left in this draft that we really want to get a hold of or somebody that we want to target. So, so trading up for him, that was a, that was a big time target for them to, to try and get up to and get him, which I think is interesting because a lot of people didn't necessarily have him rated up there, up that high. Um, but the Dolphins did, and the Dolphins clearly felt that the rest of the NFL did. And so I think that, um, I think that that's interesting at that point. Another thing that's interesting is, is that before the draft, I was warned a long time ago that, um, that there's a connection between Georgia staff and Miami staff and that, uh, and, and you should see that, you know, turn into a pipeline. Uh, we already saw it last year with undrafted free agent, Jonathan Ledbetter, um, but you should see a sort of a Georgia pipeline. And I, what I noticed is immediately after uh, Solomon Kinley was drafted, uh, Kirby Smart had a sort of a reaction video um, that he released on Twitter where he was congratulating Sol- uh, Solomon. And, uh, and he, he spoke so incredibly high of him uh, and, and also spoke about things that you only know about him and his abilities and his athleticism probably if – you know, he's been on your team and you've been around him and you've been recruiting him and stuff like, and stuff like him having been a lifeguard at like 350 pounds or 340 pounds and, and stuff like that. And, um, and having, having saved his teammate, Brian Harrion's, you know, potentially saved him from drowning. He thought Brian Harrion thought he was drowning and, uh, and at 340 asking pounds. Ask him to come back and talk to the new kids or new players and, Mm-hmm. You know, all that sort of thing. That speaks to the the level of um, leadership and um, integrity is the wrong word, but I suppose yeah, I suppose it is the right word in a way. But it just speaks to the the, the high regard with which Kindy was held, doesn't it? Yeah, and also and and being able to know that you know when he when he's on the basketball court, if he's on your team, you know these sorts of sorts of things. But maybe you don't otherwise. That when he's on the basketball court, he's the point guard. You know. Um, yeah. at, at, that size at that immense size uh so i think that there's a pipeline between georgia and miami going on here and miami was probably well versed in sort of the the legends of solomon kinley on the georgia football team and that that translated into this pick um as for the player on the field it's just it's part of the theme what we saw between uh, Robert Hunt and Solomon Kinley and even go after the draft to the undrafted free agents uh, that that they've signed be it um, you know uh, Kaltmeyer um, from Kansas State or Donnell Stanley from South Carolina they are getting big big frames yeah. very strong i mean this is what they're putting in front of Tua Tonga Vailoa they're not putting together a um a zone type of line you know no. they're not the the sort of the undersized fast you know kind of go east west uh kind of guys no they're they're putting together a group of big uglies in it's front of him yeah absolutely smash you in the mouth that's that's robert hunt that's um mm-hmm. that's solomon kinley um, that's some of the guys they got as undrafted free agents. Um, I think that Austin Jackson, you know, might be the, he might, he, he is in a sense the one exception, but he's also not 
terribly an exception because he's also a big human <laughs> and yeah. um and he's and he's very strong as well but he's he's a left tackle that's a little bit different and jesse davis is that you know he's very big you know very strong uh, that's what he is so i think that it's i look at it thematic otherwise when i watch him play kinley play and i'm not sure if he's going to be a starter or not but um when i you know it's fourth rounder um when i watch him play the thing that's exceptional about him is for being this big fat guy and he is he's got a big gut yeah um he's you know he's he's agile you know he's he's agile he's high energy and he's really active you know that's absolutely no, and you, you know see what I a like lot of those him? fat you know guys like about him for being so big. He gets out in space and can square up blocks. Yeah, yeah. When usually I mean, guys because, that are that because big, he's that kind of yeah. Usually guys that are that big just stumble out into the second level and hit nobody can, and just fall down. He can turn his hips as well. Yeah, Stop he can turn his hips. Stop a minute, boys, because the um the thing says less than a minute left on this chat. Oh, okay. So maybe yeah. you should stop now and yeah, and, yeah. Otherwise, um, we'll be half. Before you cut it, I was just going to say, you know, for being that big in the phone booth, very agile, very high energy and high effort, which you don't often see. You often see the big fat guys. They're a little bit lazy and that's not him. Okay. And then we moved on to the fifth round and at the top of the fifth round with the very first pick of the fifth round, an old favorite of mine, Khalid Kareem of Notre Dame got taken by the Cincinnati Bengals. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, there goes that heavy-handed five-tech that we could have used. Mm-hmm. But pick 153 came, and they traded it to the 49ers. And I'm looking at the screen, and I'm like, okay. So they're just going to move down and pick up something else. Who knows? Maybe they, they take DJ Dallas here soon. But no, they traded the pick for Matt Breda. And we had a debate on the WhatsApp chat. I looked up the numbers. Breda's numbers look pretty damn favorable to Kenyon Drake's. Okay. Kane Drake has the better individual games. Kane Drake only had one season better than, than Breda's, which is this past season where he had three more yards, but Breda had a better yard yards per carry. I called him a poor man's Kenyon Drake. You guys took issue with it. Put me in my place, Simon. I mean, I think he's a better player than, than Kenyon Drake. Okay. I mean, the, the, the biggest question is that whether or not he can um, still be the same performer out of the Carl Shanahan system. Um, and that remains to be seen. Obviously, only time will tell. And I think the only reason he had less yards than um, than Drake last year was because he missed a load of games with injury. Um, but Drake's never come near him in terms of um, uh, you know uh, career yards per carry average, in terms of yards per season, that sort of thing. To, to me, Matt Breed is a better player. But look, I mean, it's it's eggs and apples or whatever the the, the term is. I, I just think you know we picked up a really good player in the fifth round for, for nothing. Really. Uh, you know. And yeah, exactly. And if he can stay healthy, then along with Jordan Howard, that's a really nice one-two punch. Absolutely. And, and I'll expand on that. Uh, you're getting Matt Breda for essentially nothing, okay? Because you have plenty of picks and you, you just trade one of them for a running back that will contribute. But there's many reasons why he can be better than Kenyon Drake. First of all, I see them as mirror images of each other. But one big difference, Kenyon Drake is about to get $10 million a year. And Matt Breda is not. He's also younger, less tread on the tires. So great, great, great trade by Chris Greer. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on that trade? I thought, I mean, they got they got the best running back that they could have gotten. Yes. Um, you know, aside from some of the very top ones. And, and that's, that's how I look at this and say, okay, well, you know, job well done. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather just... 
you know, instead of getting into, is he this or is he that, um, you know, job well done on that. And because they, yeah, I think things didn't fall the way that they wanted to with the running back position, but they were able to pivot it around and they were on the phone. Uh, the reports are that they were on the phone with, um, about Leonard Fournette and also, um, Gurley, Todd Gurley. And, uh, and they just, um, they decided Brida was the, uh, Brida was the best option for them. And I think that they've already got Jordan Howard. So obviously there's some, there's some good, uh, um, I guess chemistry there between the two, uh, being different kinds of runners and threatening Absolutely. in different ways. So yeah, you should, you should be able to see, see him. I mean, he's, he's been a phenomenal back with San Francisco. It's just, uh, I brought, we brought it up time and time again, you know, privately is just, well, taking anybody from that San Francisco Kyle Shanahan run system and try and translate them somewhere else is always going to be a big if because they do that. They do that probably better than anybody in the, in the league, as far as um, designing an entire system to, to spring open the ground game. And it's not, and, and that's the key really. It's, it's not just, the run plays i mean it's the pass plays too that everything works off of off of other plays to where to produce a lot of um a lot of uh you know indecision and hesitation in the defense and uh and yeah trying to reproduce that somewhere else is difficult even though chan gailey has a reputation for producing good running attacks so we'll see how it goes but the thing i look for it is and the thing i know will translate is what he can do in the passing game Absolutely. You know, that's, and, and that's what I can't wait for. You know, I can't wait to see Tua Tonga-Vailoa passing, throwing the ball to this guy mm-hmm. because that's what, I mean, he's so fast and he's so dangerous that you get a passer like Tua who's, who's just so decisive and anticipatory that, you know, when he, when he hits the back, it's because there's opportunity there and it's going to hit him with good timing. And then it's like, Bring us off to the races, and that's yeah. um, and that's what I'm looking forward to. So yeah, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of King and Drake's. I've I've been so since his days at Alabama when he was drafted. I was pretty happy about it. But one thing we can't we can't say about King and Drake is he's only really been effective when either everybody else is hurt and he's handed every opportunity in two spots now in Miami for that six game stretch and last year for that seven game stretch in in Arizona. So, given your Kenyan Drake thing, though, uh, your um, your Kalen Balash thing, though, <laughs> don't we need to, don't we need to essentially discount everything that you say about running backs? Who is that? I don't know what you. I, I mean, about. who knows? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Simon. I don't know who the hell Kalen Balash is. What is that? I mean, he played for somebody. Or two. But yeah, <laughs> it, who's worse? Yeah. Who's worse, Daniel Thomas or Kalen? But whoa, boy, that's a question. Kalen Balaj. No, Kalen Balaj is worse. Like you know, his body of work. Then Daniel Thomas. Worse. Yeah, then Daniel Thomas. Yes, at least Daniel Thomas was the hero of one game. That game in the snow against Pittsburgh, where he had a hundred and thirty something yards rushing and a touchdown. So at least Balaj he had a hero run against Minnesota. Yeah, we lost though. Yeah, but we lost though. So yeah. he wasn't the yeah, hero of anything. Good. He was the hero of one play. <laughs> I don't think Daniel Thomas ever had a hero game. I think that I disagree with that. Oh no! Come on, go look. He up had his, wide open. He had wide open holes. He had wide open holes in that game. Okay, so but it was against Pittsburgh. All right, still a good a good Pittsburgh team. Yeah, it's still Daniel. No, no, it wasn't. It was the Houston game, wasn't it? Nah, it was the Pittsburgh game in the snow. Daniel Thomas 
ran roughshod over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't believe it. Daniel Thomas averaged 3.61 yards per carry in his career. He's who the show was named after. Triple (laughs) Kalen Balazs' average. (laughs) In fact, I'm going to look up Daniel Thomas' game, all right, in that game. All right, time here. I'll, I'll cut most of this shit out, so it'll look like, you know, I'm brilliant. I have it off the top of my head. Do you remember the year? It was 2012, I would say, right? Um, it was in the snow. You know, make that. Let's make it 2013. I thought it was the Houston game that everybody. It was in the know, snow. He had 16 went, carries. Went, yeah, was, I'm sure it was Pittsburgh in the snow. Yeah, it was in the snow. He had 16 carries for 105 yards, and he had a touchdown. He had a 55-yard touchdown. Yes. So. Yeah. Good game. Daniel Thomas. Way to go. He didn't, he didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, the only better. thing he ever did. Ever did in our uniform. But yeah, uh, to, to wrap up, Matt Breda, at least he's shown that he could be part of a group and doesn't need everybody else to get benched or get hurt and take every single touch to be effective. Although I'm a big fan of Kenyon Drake and remains so to this day. But then let's let's get into a polarizing pick. The very next pick, the Dolphins are on the clock. Mm-hmm. And take Jason Strobridge. And my first thought is, okay, first of all, the scouts absolutely love this guy because they he he got a he received a, th- a third down grade from Lance Zerline, who's pretty good at it at this, and he and who was also hired by the NFL to to give out uh, grade you know grades to the guys as they as they asked for them, especially to the agents. He was given a third-round grade by Lance Zerline. I will read to you this. His top comparable, Tank Carradine. Well, not saying much, is it? <laughs> not saying much, but also Tank was a lot better in college than this guy is. Yeah. Well, that's who Lance Zerline compared him to. It was interesting because if you remember, one of, our, one of the things we talked about this, this uh, preseason was, why did they cut Tank Carradine after he played so well? True. Sure. Well, uh, now they got his clone, I guess. I saw him play plenty. To say that he didn't stand out to me is saying too much. Like, you know, he just he just looked like a guy, like a decent college player that might get drafted in the sixth round. I was shocked that he had such high draft grades. Maybe it had to do with his size and that he ran, you know, he ran decently at the combine. He ran sub four nine. So they tend to like things like that. I don't know what what can you say about the pick? I'll go to you first, Chris. I I the 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 only thing I keep thinking whenever I watch him on tape is that he looks like Tarzan and plays like Jane. I mean that's makes that's perfect sense. and I'm sorry I'm sorry to say that I don't like a fifth round god god forbid that I don't like yeah, of course. a fifth yeah. round pick. Absolutely. Um but you know it's it's funny though because when I when I even say something light about it, lightly critical about it on Twitter, it's like you know, forget the, about the fact that I've been raving about most of these other picks. It's like, you know, why don't you like that? Oh, no, you're just totally wrong. You're just, you know, being stubborn and stuff like that. It's like, hey, listen, not every pick is a winner to me. Um, you know, I think that whenever I watch him, there's there's a couple things that stand out. One is that offensive linemen do not have a hard time with him. Uh, despite the fact, I mean, he is he is body beautiful. He's six foot four, 275 Absolutely. pounds. And mm-hmm. he has, you know, 30, 32 and a half inch arms, but he, you know, comes off lengthier than that, I think. Um, 
you know, he's built how you want it want him built. And, and he's also pretty athletic. He's all right. Athletic for, for that size. Uh, and you can see how he fits in the system. So the definitely a system fit. I'm not, not criticizing it in that way. It's just that, you know, he's like the anti Raekwon Davis and I know Raekwon is a bigger player, so it's tough to compare and contrast the two, but um, you know, a, a player that's a little bit down in size from Raekwon Davis, more likely to play on the edge, but you can still give offensive linemen a tough time. You either give them a hard time with your physicality, your length or your speed, um, your strength, you know, all these things. He just doesn't give offensive linemen a very hard time at all. I, I never see anybody look, stressed when they've got to lock Jason Strobridge. And in fact, you know, when, when they double them up, you know, just a combo block, you know, which is so common, um, you know, run duo plays or something like that. God, I, I just want to call him Jason Strobridge. And then in parentheses, not pictured because mm-hmm. he gets blocked literally off the screen. <laughs> and, and that happened in the, in the senior bowl. It happened in at UNC. Um, that's my that's my criticism. He, the strength is not the. I know when when he does manage to get his hands in the where he wants them, then he can be pretty good with his hands at time, especially in single blocking. Um, but I just I just don't see it. I don't get it. I think that he's um, he's 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 iron pyrite. I think that um, you know the Dolphins fell into a trap on that pick, and I don't expect much from it. What is iron pyrite? Fool's gold. Fool's oh, gold. Nice. Never heard that before. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, Simon, can you add anything to us? Yeah, to I generally agree, generally agree with Chris. I think that um, it wouldn't surprise me if this was another Brian Flores pick and Flores saw him for the first time at the senior bowl in the trenches because I thought in the one-on-one drills and the pit drills, I thought he did very, very well. He showed, you know, I watched it back the other day as well. He showed off excellent strength, power, leverage, um, and I know that, you know, he came away definitely as one of the winners of the, the two days in the, in the pit. Um, I, I think he blows hot and cold. I think Chris made the point, Jane Tarzan, and I think he does blow hot and cold. And I think you just want to try and get more consistency from him. Um, I think that he'll probably just end up being a rotational piece um, in that in that front. And if that's all that he ends up being as a fifth rounder, then that's probably, a, you know, that's probably a win. I think, um, it, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much about all that we can say about him. I do like his hand usage, I've got to say. I do think he's clever with his hands. Um, but you kind of just want more from him on a more consistent basis and you don't quite get that. And so you wonder whether or not someone's just taken a bit of a flyer on him because they think, look, something is there. We saw it at the Senior Bowl. Something is there. Can we light a fire under him? And only time will tell. Yeah. Now, we, we just got off of Jason Strobridge and we move on to pick 164. Curtis Weaver of Boise State, the anti-Jason Strobridge, if you want a guy that's uber productive, Mm. okay? 34 sacks in 40 games. He even has two interceptions, (laughs) all right, coming off the edge. This is a guy that has always played well. And if you watch him play at Boise State, and I know it's hard. It's hard to to be up at 11-15 on the East Coast to watch him play against God knows who and not BYU. Just over and over again. Yeah, just watch yeah. just watch them against BYU over and over and over and over. No, again. I mean that's who they play over and over again. I, yeah. As far as that's who they play every, eleven every times a year. Every single Boise State game is BYU. Exactly. This is a guy that you know he flashes all over the place, and when when you draft him at one sixty four, you're wondering how the hell can we get this guy at one sixty four? Why? Can you explain to me? I'll go to you, Simon. 
can you explain to me how did this guy, first of all, just sneak into the fifth round after being so productive at Boise State? Um, I, I think he's a one-dimensional player. Alpha, I think that's probably why. I think he's a great pass so rusher. So is pa- kind of Jabari Zuniga, and I don't know. He he went pretty high, isn't he? I just think I he's. Think, I know. I don't. I don't think. No, no. Jabari Zuniga is Zuniga is not yeah. one dimensional at His all. His ass is a little no. light. Once I, once yeah. these tackles in the NFL get a hold of him, that doesn't. You know, I, I think he's actually really good. I think he is fit for the Miami Dolphins defense, and I'm, I'm not surprised that they were yeah. high on him. Um, I think anyway. I, I don't think I don't think you're going to. I think he's a sub package pass rusher. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a you know I think he'd be a very good one actually because he's just got that innate ability to get to the quarterback. He's just shown it consistently over and over and over and over again. What I think he struggles to do is set the edge. I don't think he's very good at it. I don't think he's athletic enough to drop off. He, I don't think he can be an off ball linebacker. Uh, but I think what he does is he just shows a consistent and innate ability to understand how to set up um, tackles and how to pressure the quarterback. And, um, you know, he's done it over and over and over again. And I think it's tremendous value in the fifth round. You know, his sack and tackle for loss production over the last, what, two or three years has been extraordinary. Um, And he's got good hands. I think he's got good feet. He he knows how to set a tackle up. He knows how to work inside, outside as a pass rusher. And yeah, but I just don't think he'd want him on the field on first down because I just think he's a liability. But that's okay. He doesn't have to be all of these things. I think boy, he's great. Clo- he can really close as well. Um, he's the anti Charles Harris in that um, in that regard. Uh, he can he can close <laughs> to the quarterback. I, I, I like it. It's what a huge value pick I thought for the Dolphins there. Huge huge value. Yeah, yeah. when I saw that production, like it, it, come on, and and right there at one sixty four in the fifth round, like really, you could get this kind of player. Yeah, sign me up. Chris. Well, I, the I guy think... who had more sacks than Chase Young, yeah, in his yeah, across the same period of time. Well, I think I think you said it. Um, sub package player. Uh, think about think about this. If you think of him as a sub package player, he's a player that doesn't test well, uh, doesn't impress you getting off the bus necessarily with his body build. Uh, it's not yeah, that he's he's six two 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 sixty five or something something along those lines. Um, but you know he doesn't impress you that way. He's not going to impress you necessarily at the combine, other than the agility drills. And um, and he played at Boise State as opposed to you know in the SEC or some some big con- bigger conference. Uh, so a sub package player with all of those things going against him. So you you've got to naturally question whether his pass rush translates to the next level. And if he's not that, he's off the team. You know that's mm. so that's why he's that's why why he went in the fifth round and always since the first time I've really studied the guy because he, he had a great reputation and he was ultimate production. Um, since the first time you could see the problems, you know, you could see the problems in his body um, build and dimensions. Uh, you could see the problems in his motor. I mean, he just doesn't have a high motor. Um, he, you could see, and it's not that he doesn't run all that fast in a straight line. Cause actually I, he, he did all right in the, the 40 uh, compared to what, you know, what he could have done compared to what, I mean, AJ Epinesa is way slower. Um, mm. You know, I think that uh, it, it's the matter that it's, it's the fact that his motor doesn't run hot during the game that makes him look a little lazy at times. And I think that, um, yeah, he's not, he's not great setting the, setting the edge, although he didn't, he didn't make a fair number of run stops and such. Um, 
but I think that, uh, and he certainly, you're not, you're not going to trust him in a drop back in coverage, even though he did, you know, get interceptions. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically what it is. He's a sub, he's a, a sort of a specialist whose speciality you don't know is actually going to translate. And, and so but I was, I was excited to get him. And I think Simon, the word you used is innate ability to um to pass rush and that's what it is because he pass rushes with his eyes he pass yeah. rushes with his eyes and his feel for it and uh and he i mean he uses his hands really well and he uses his eyes really well and the thing that the one physical attribute that he really has going for him is his change of his change of direction skills and his agility like that's why you saw i think he ran like a 7-0 cone drill or something like that and that's where you see that show up He's got really good change. He may not be explosive, like jump explosive, but he's got really good short bursts and gearing and change of direction ability. And he uses that. He knows how to use that um, in, in his, with his feet. He knows how to use his feet, and he knows how to use his eyes, and that's how he gets to be so productive. Yeah. Now, moving on, we talked about this on our last preview show about LSU and how many guys would get drafted. Well, 14 of them got drafted. This was one of them, Blake Ferguson. Now, he's a long snapper. Anything else you can say about him, Simon? Yeah, he's a really good long snapper. He's been the best long snapper in college football for the last two years. His brother, uh, I think he's Reed. And they cut Reed theirs Ferguson. this week, by the way. Tabor Pepper. Sorry, say that again. Tabor Pepper okay. got cut this week, so. Yeah, uh, his brother Reed is the Bills' long snapper, um, and Blake is apparently significantly better. Uh, he's been the back-to-back winner of the best long snapper award in college football. Uh, he's an absolute football maven, uh, football head. Just spends his entire time just working on technique and phoning up his brother and talking about how to long snap better and stuff. But uh, he's also I think, one of the one of the most uh, gifted student athletes in the history of LSU football. I think he's got two degrees um, already. Um, and yeah, he's, um, he's just a, uh, all around superhuman being really. I mean, I can't say that I've ever watched him long snap, uh, on purpose, but, um, from, from gathering information, he's apparently very good. And there's dead uh, silence from Chris. I have nothing. He's a long snapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'll take. I'll, I'll. I'll try to snap that really tight so it sounds better. Okay. So they took a long snapper, and you guys said it. Uh, you know, their draft was essentially over, but not really, because this guy could make the team, and this is their last pick. Although they traded another one after this, Malcolm Perry of Navy. Salmon, you you came you came on right away onto Twitter with a great stat. What was it? 65, 10 plus yards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is one of my favorite. Apart from two, it might be my favorite pick. Love Malcolm Perry. Mm. I used to pick him all the time in the late rounds of those uh, mock draft simulators. Um, he's just an absolute winner. You know, he's just one of those. And I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if he made the roster. I just think, you know, special teams, his ability to do – numerous things within the offense be it you know he could be a special teams captain frankly but also you know he can run the ball and he can run it really proficiently you look at you know he was given one snap of quarterback in the shrine bowl is it chris and he yep. was at the flight 50 yard line and literally just ran it in for a touchdown um <laughs> you know he can run he can catch but also he can throw i mean he was obviously the Na- he was obviously navy's quarterback um so 
what you can do with him on the field really, you know, mixes it up. And I said, oh, you know, he could be, and it's, you know, it's cheesy. And you go, oh, there's your Julian Edelman. There's your Austin Eckler. But, you know, he could be somebody that we've, you know, you've kind of not really seen in the in the NFL in terms of he's, he's essentially three-dimensional when he's on the field because he can do all sorts of things. He can, you know, would you, would you be surprised to see him all of a sudden go, you know, line up on the center and take a snap and, and throw the ball or run some wildcat or, or, or do whatever he could end up catching balls out the backfield and stuff. I am. Um, yeah. I just think he's really instinctive as running. He's not fast, but he's quick. He's slippery. He's hard to bring down. Um, and it's just an absolute, you know, an absolute winner. I thought it was, you know, a lovely value pick in the, in the final round. Really, really pleased with it. A lovely Ran, value pick. That's never been said on this podcast before. <laughs> Ran for over 2,000 yards this year. Over 2,000 mm, yeah. yards with Navy um, as their quarterback. Uh, so it's incredible. And, yes, he was at the Shrine game. And the one step that they gave him in the game, it was it's just like off to the races. I mean, it wasn't even – I mean, yeah, there was, there was some room there. But good God. And you mentioned that he's not that fast. He, he tested, and that's probably the disappointing thing. That's what, Otherwise, he's so exciting on the film that yeah. you would think that the NFL were – and especially coming from Navy, and I think he's got his dispensation so that he can play right away. Yes, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of teams would be all over a guy like that. But the reason they're Get not... The in his hands. Yeah, yeah, but the reason they weren't necessarily... The reason he fell in the seventh round and probably was going to go undrafted where Bill Belichick was going to try and snap him up. Um, the reason is because he did go ahead and test out. And he's, you know, for, for only being as small as he is, and, and he is very small, um, he was only like what he ran like a four six uh, or something like that. Four six like, three, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so I think that that's the reason that he fell. Um, but watch him, watch him play, and it's the damnedest thing, damnedest thing. Four six three. I've never seen anybody catch him from behind. I, I've never like and yeah, and he's got, that, right. <laughs> there's there's sixty film on his film was him running away from people. Yeah, there's sixty five yeah. runs of him running ten plus yards, and I know they didn't all go for touchdowns, but I'm I'm talking about you know there's a difference between having an angle and you know and that's why it was only a fifteen yard run or something like that versus getting tracked down. I haven't seen the guy tracked down, you know, and, and I've watched him I've watched him run for these numerous, including at the Shrine game. And so it's, it's crazy to think about, but, um, but yeah, he is very quick, very athletic. The dolphins are going to immediately, it looks like, even though he worked at wide receiver for a lot pre-draft, um, the dolphins are listing him as a running back. And I think Mm -hmm. that's right personally, um, because that's, that's where he's got the most experience. I think they're going to use him in all kinds of different roles and really experiment with him. And, and Jakeem Grant will certainly have to watch his back on this one because, um, he has a habit of not staying healthy and, you know, if that that happens again with guys like Malcolm Perry and uh and one of the um the undrafted free agents we'll talk about um then you know he he could find himself supplanted so Malcolm Perry is very exciting player I think that he was exciting and Navy was exciting in the um in the Shrine Bowl and you're just gonna you just watch out for this guy (laughs) he's just lightning it's crazy all right now Chris wanted to do this exercise where we gave out comparables for each of these guys so i will go first and i will take it from malcolm perry on the way up to our favorite quarterback from alabama so malcolm perry i'm gonna give his his best case scenario danny woodhead how's that how does that sound to you guys that sounds that sounds nice 
That's a that's a decent comparison. I wasn't even sure. I wasn't even sure I had a really good one uh for, no, for me neither. <laughs> All right, Blake Ferguson. How about Ed Perry? Because he's a long snapper, right? Wasn't Ed Perry the best long snapper we ever had? Or is it John Denny? No, John Denny is the best long snapper. John Denny played for John 84 Denny, years. <laughs> He's right, in the long snap Hall of Fame. Sorry, Blake, yeah. that I saddled you with, with Ed Perry, all right? So, I mean, so I'll give you John Denny, all right? That's your best case scenario. He could be Ed Wood for all I know. I mean, that's, I, I don't know anything about him. He could be all Ed right. Gein, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Curtis Weaver. Frank Clark? Best case scenario, Frank Clark, Ooh. maybe? Marcus Golden. That's, that's a little overstating. Uh, okay. Frank Clark is, anyway. Jason Strawbridge, let's go t- Tank Carradine, all right? <laughs> Jason yeah, Marcus Jason Strawbridge, let's go Tank Carradine. Okay. Solomon Kinley, I was thinking of a really good one. Do you guys remember Rex Hadnot? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like, I get that. I, I see him, and I kind of get that. Now, people forget hmm. that Rex Hadnot was just okay here he was really good in cleveland when he and then he signed Mm. a pretty big contract in cleveland so they were pretty happy with his play over there and i was told by a miami dolphins personnel person Mm -hmm. that the ceiling on kindley and the reason that they wanted kindley was that shaq mason was the ceiling on what they thought kindley could potentially become that's why they traded up for him so Shaq Mason would be the comparison, even though it's, you know. <laughs> All right, Brandon Jones, okay? I'm going to saddle him with a little bit of pressure. How about Rashad Jones? Oof, that is okay. pressure. Okay, uh, I know that's a lot of pressure, but, you know, I'm going best-case scenarios here, okay? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking about they hit huge on everybody here. Yeah, why not Rashad Jones? I see a lot of the same characteristics. So I'll go Rashad Jones. Now, Raekwon Davis is one, Chris. Yeah, and, well, I'll, I'll 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 go after after Alf's done. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Now, Raekwon Davis is kind of interesting to me because uh, he could be so many things. And I already said that the reason I like him so much is because if he's an absolute bust, he's still going to be a really good NFL player, setting the edge and being a hell of a run defender. But since I'm doing extreme best case scenarios, how about Richard Seymour? Mm. Okay, I just had that, that comparison made to me earlier today. Okay, I'm going to go Richard Seymour. Robert Hunt, Jawan James. That's who I see. At least that tackle. At right tackle, that's who I see. I see Jawan mm-hmm. James. And if he's Jawan James, this is a home run pick. Okay, Noah Igbonagane. Did I get that right? Igbonagane. Igbonagane. Nailed it. Yeah. Desmond King. How about that? Desmond King. And he, by the way, Desmond King was a big favorite of mine. I talked about him for almost two years. Of course, I did not see him becoming what he is today, which is a one of the best nickel cornerback specialists we've ever seen. But that's the best case scenario, I would say. Austin Jackson, the best case scenario, man, this is this is a really, really hard one to figure out. For Mekhi Becton, have we taken him? I was about to say Bryant McKinney. But for Austin Jackson, man, I just don't know of a comparable. So I just say, I'll say Larry Tunsil. Because he's the only thing that really comes to mind right away. And for Tua Tungvalu, I've been saying forever that he's Steve Young. Now, with his latest injuries, maybe he's not Steve Young. So he'll be Drew Brees. How's that? So That works for me. Works. Chris, <laughs> take it away. 
well th- this last one so that we don't take forever maybe maybe we'll just go you know i'll i'll give mine and simon you give yours so we'll yeah. start with tua i i got left-handed drew Brees. yeah me too simple All right. jesus austin, austin jackson i got uh tyron smith that doesn't know what he's doing yeah i was gonna say somebody really good really athletic with hands like Edward Scissorhands, but could be be better. Yeah. Um, Noah Igbenogene, uh, I I actually, I kept getting reminded of Vontae Davis. I know it's a Dolphin uh, comparison, but that's why I I got Desmond Trufant. Oh, nice. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Robert Hunt and Alf kind of stole mine. Uh, Jawan James, I do, I do, I am reminded of Jawan James quite a bit. Cody Ford. Nice. Hmm. Oh, that is, that is a good one. That's nice. It is a very Um, good one. Yeah, Raquan Davis. I I keep wanting to go with DeForest Buckner, but that might be too friendly. Um, Daryl Gardner is also too. So let's go with Daryl Gardner. Yeah, I went Buckner, but yeah. Okay, Brandon Jones, Isa Abdul Kadus. That's who I keep seeing every time I every time I watch him. And yeah, really jack of all trades like him. Jesse Bates, I had the mm. Cincinnati safety, mm. who I really like. Nice. Solomon Kinley. Um, you know, it's two things. I, I realize Omar actually disagreed with me. I, I made this. He's, he's a fat guy like Jamie Nails, and but he's also like a high effort fat guy like Jamie Nails. Um, but reasonably speaking. Are those scouting terms, high effort fat guys? Yeah, that's right. Um, reasonably, though, uh, Jamie Nails was like 6'6 and had a bigger frame than Solomon Kinley you know, believe it or not. So if he's like a smaller Jamie nails, <laughs> which is saying he's like three forty. Um, so, but, but also he reminds me of uh, Damon Harrison as, a, as an offensive player, like big snacks, Harrison, except on the offensive yeah. line. Uh, Larry Warford, maybe. All right. Sure. Yeah, Larry Warford. Yep. I remember mm-hmm. him. Jason Strobridge. I'm going to say Zach Moore, um, who Concordia, the Concordia Cobbers, who was drafted by the New England Patriots in the sixth round. The Concordia Cobbers were that's, that's a real <laughs> on the podcast. I mean, what is a cobber? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know what a cobber they're is. From, they're, they're from Concordia, is. though. I assumed that was an English word. You would know that. Uh, it's an Australian word, actually. What's that? Is it cobber? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i was thinking about someone like i don't know carl nasib oh ah, okay henry uh, anderson maybe oh no okay no, i mean Henry, i like i don't know he's been a little bit more pro- productive yeah. and again i'm somebody, i'm just trying to think of somebody who's heavy-handed and mm-hmm. but yeah yeah i, the other I don't one... have a comparison Go on, sorry. The other no one Bruce aside Smith. from no Bruce Smith on Jason Strobridge. No, no I, I was I was thinking you know either Zach Moore or somebody like Tyquan Lewis um, of uh, formerly the Ohio State. But um, no, uh, next one is Curtis Weaver. Oh, Curtis Weaver. Um, this one's a tough one. It just depends on how what you think he's ultimate. How good do you think he's ultimately going? I'm going to start with Keonta Davis, who was a UT Chattanooga dude. Hmm. Yeah. Played in New England, carved out a little role. Just got cut, actually, but um, you know, carved out a little role with Flores there. Yeah, Marcus Golden. I'm going to go with. And that's a good one. I like that one. 
That's a really Blake good one. Ferguson. You know, that's a good Blake. one. Addison, Mario Addison. That's another decent one. Mario Addison is just so quick over the edge, though. Yeah. Um, around the edge. Uh, Blake Ferguson, I. You go, Simon. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> why don't you go? I defer to you. You're uh, off of Ed Perry, so. Shouldn't you be? Yeah. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you just I mean, you Jen, I, I, Denny here? I right genuinely, there? I genuinely don't know who the best long snapper in the NFL even is. I, which is, I don't. Henrik Lusk. <laughs> Great comparison. Is that even a person? <laughs> Sounds like somebody yeah. that found like Scandinavia back in the uh, <laughs> 1650s on a, like a clipper boat. Okay, I'm going to tell you who the um who the richest. Uh, long snapper is well. John oh, Denny almost. made about 180 million dollars in his career, didn't he? So Bo Brinkley of the Titans is the highest-paid long snapper in the NFL. Hmm. Really? Yeah, he earns five million. Jesus, one hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds across his contract. Jesus! Wow. That's yeah. That's almost too much money. Whereas. Dan Godsill, the Bengals long snapper, earns 510000 He's the least paid long snapper. Tabor Pepper earned $1.23 million. God bless him. Great personality, uh, but he earned his money. Zach Diossi, he might be the best. uh, Ooh, there you go. I remember when he was was supposed to be a good prospect, though. Yeah. If you were Don Muleback of the Detroit Lions and you walked into a bar and, and, and somebody said, what do you do for a living? And he said, I play in the NFL. <laughs> He'd be like, do you? What do you do? <laughs> oh, I'm, um, <laughs> what's your name? Uh, Don Muleback. He'd be like, no, you fucking don't. No, no, I do. I do. I play on special teams. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> you were like, you're like a car salesman or you like sell RVs. No, no, I really am. I'm a long snapper for the buff for the Detroit Lions. Fuck off, mate. Get out of the bar. <laughs> and the Steelers long snapper is called Cameron Canaday, which sounds like something that women use if they've got like an inflamed vagina. <laughs> oh, Maureen, have you got the Cameron Canaday? I have, and it's really helpful. <laughs> By the way, Hendrick Lusk was a long snapper for the Dolphins in 1998. <laughs> I don't know how that name just came to me. <laughs> Hendrick Lusk. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah, that's right. He'd been he'd been with three teams. By the way, John Denny. Or Henry. Henry Lusk, Hendrick Lusk, whatever. Denny played 224 games for the Miami Dolphins. He had four penalties his entire career. Wow. Made two Pro Bowls. So if Blake Ferguson is John Denny, that's you know he should only hope that he's Hendrick Lusk is now the head coach of Monterey High School football team in Monterey, California. (laughs) Is he? Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, yes. All right, last last um, one. Malcolm Perry. Can I just Gil. tell you this? Can what? I just tell you this? That Hendrick Lust has to resign from coaching the John F. Kennedy High School in California due to a <laughs> lewd photograph of him surfacing. <laughs> nice. With a name like with a name like Hendrick Lusk, it's not surprising Hendrick, that Hendrick Lust. <laughs> Lusty Lusk. Lusty Lust. I'm I'm looking at the. Uh, Kennedy football Hen- coach Henry Lusk Hendrick's resigns over racy. A photo, racy a photo of a photo of Hendricks Husk. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look at that. All right, give us the last one, Malcolm Perry. Right. 
Malcolm Perry, I'm going to reach for the stars. I'll go all the way for Wes Welker from Texas Tech. Holy Jesus. Yeah, I'll go, Jul- I'll go Julian Eckler across between ah. Edelman and Austin. Nice. Very nice. All right. That has been our recap of day two and day three of the NFL draft. I started watching 2021 tape today, by the way. Is that sad? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, I saw, I already saw like, I already saw mock drafts. Yeah. I started because oh, I've, I've been compiling a list for the magazine for the first magazine of the, of the, of the new season, which we, I did. Well, we got to go because we have less than one minute. All right. And you're not going to make me kickstart this thing again so that's it, it. Felt like a sketch there is drafts. no <laughs> more we will talk to you guys next week thanks for listening to three yards per caddy you can subscribe via itunes on podbean or your usual podcast provider At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.